Hello, my name is John Smetanka, and the name of our program is With Respect. guest and with respect is uh, a gentleman who has been on this show some years before, but we want to catch up about uh, the changes in his his world, his industry. His name is Tom Lowry. He is the owner of Lowry Books, which is located in two locations, actually, in Three Rivers uh, at Michigan and also Sturgis, Michigan. We are going to be talking about himself the world of books, the world of business in books, and so on. Tom Lowry, with respect. Tom, how are you today? I'm doing great today, John. How about you? I'm alive and I'm happy. This is good. Um, so, ask we. I know you've been on the program, but I think maybe there's some new listeners who don't remember that show. And uh, uh, so, tell us something about where you're from originally. I'm originally from Chicago. Moved here when I was in high school. My father was a teacher, and he took a job in Marcellus. And so I finished high school there, moved, went to college, moved away, and then 30 years ago, I moved back. I was one of those people who vowed at graduation they'd never come back, and, but 30 years later, I did. But I wasn't quite 30 at that point. It was mm-hmm. 20 years later. Mm-hmm. I came back and uh, op- to open a bookstore. Well, now, you know, this is interesting because that phrase, I will never come back to this town, it's so small, or it's so big, or it's so green, or j- whatever. That is repeated. That's almost a mantra of every high school graduate, isn't it? It's for so many of us, it's yeah. interesting how it happens. But but they all, not all, many will then turn around and say, no, you know what, I want to do this, I want to raise a family, whatever it is, and the place to do it is where I came from. And So it, it's kind of an interesting cycle that we all go through. Uh, it happened to me. So, I, I, and I know I've talked to other young people uh, who said the same thing. Listen to their their conversations about how bad this place or that place is, and and but they come home. So, right. what um, you said you were you were in the business uh, of books um, before you came back. Is that correct? I did. Tell, I, tell uh, us about that. Wow. Well, Took a part-time job while I was at college and and in the college bookstore. And then I enjoyed it so much when the uh, semester ended, I took a job at B. Dalton's. And I worked for them for almost 10 years. In the process of that time, they were acquired by uh, Barnes & Noble. And also in the process of that, I became a store manager, which gave me a lot of experience in the new book industry. Um, and that was incredibly useful when I opened my own store. Mm-hmm. And I, I still enjoy it as much as I did when I started 40 years ago. All right. Now we got to get back to it. You started enjoying by enjoying your, your part-time job in a bookstore, and you stayed in it. Why? What is it about books that makes you and the business of books? Why is it that uh, it grabbed you for this, this great career? I'm all the product, the books. I've always been a huge reader since I was little. I still have a pile of books next to my bed, just as I did when I was eight years old or 12 years old. At that time, it was always library books. Now it's not, but it's the product itself. And But along the way, I also discovered that I enjoyed, when I became a store manager, I enjoyed managing people and doing those tasks. 
And then when I owned, when I opened my own store, I discovered that I guess I was an entrepreneur. I have a certain certain skill sets that have allowed me to uh, survive over that period because uh, you get trials when mm-hmm. you own your own business. Yeah, like in any business. Exactly. That's so true. So there is all different components. There are all different components to books, writing, publishing. I I should have mentioned editing, publishing, distribution, sales. Uh, You've seen, I'm sure, parts of all of those processes. I have, yeah, and I continue to do that. What what is it, obviously, that you've you've been in uh, the business of sales uh, most of your life, you know, running your running your own uh, business and whatnot. But uh, how do we how do we find why do we find books so interesting? Well, to me, they capture the human soul, the human spirit, whether it's a child's book or a work of philosophy or I mean, even a textbook. There are things in each of those types of books that a person can respond to, learn from, grow upon, use as inspiration for your next step. So to me, books are some of the finest examples of human production. Um, And I'm not diminishing any other works of art, creation, anything. I'm not, but for me, books are so important and I enjoy being around them. Do you, do you have, uh, in, in the process of selling books, uh, do you interact with other parts of the chain? That is, the authors, the publishers, the uh, people who uh, actually work in the trade and the industry on a national basis. Uh, do you work with them? I'm mean, just curious as to whether or not the people in those parts of the chain have the same passion that you do. I do interact with them. All of us are have different levels. I'm a relatively small store for, in the new book industry, but I still interact with salespeople or sales forces. When we have our conventions or get-togethers, uh, those are the times where I most are most likely to interact with, say, the public relations or the marketing people or some of the what we would call backroom people. Um, Otherwise, they're just a voice on a phone throughout the rest of the year. But mm-hmm. when we have conventions, I get to meet them often. So, yeah, even though I'm a small store, I do have interactions with different levels of the publishing side and distribution. And I can absolutely state that they love it just as much as I do, but from a different perspective. Whether they're, say, an agent or a buyer, um, they're looking for that next uh, well, whether it's a bestseller or a solid book, um, they have that passion for that product just like we do. If they're in the editing side or the marketing side, then they have to, they have direct, their job is to interact with the author. And I vicariously hear stories about that side, and but you know that they have that passion. So it's an industry that's driven by a lot of passionate, devoted mm-hmm. <laughs> people. And I think a lot of industries share that, but I think ours is special because of the product we have. Well, you know, we have, we're going to be talking about uh, alternatives to books uh, later on in our, our chat. But uh, to start off with one of them, it's uh, all the knowledge that you see in your books probably is in some computer somewhere. And that's generally accessible to people other than people like me who who are uh, very computer tentative, but all of that material is there. What makes books differently different? Part of it is a tactile thing. There are still a significant amount of the human race that wants to hold it in their hand while they read or learn versus just interact via screen. But the other, but the other thing comes back to the product itself. We just, uh, you can't handle all of human knowledge at once. So you have to take it in bits, and a book is a convenient size to to digest at one time. Well, 
when I read, and I have, I'm, I'm joking about being totally comp uh, computer illiterate. I'm not. But I am old enough so that I, I appreciate <coughs> reading a book uh, rather than going to a books on tape and um, uh, having someone read to me. Uh, because I can't go back if I miss something. I, I, it it's too much of a trouble to go back. Um, and somehow the screen is intimidating to me so that I feel more comfortable on the, in the written page, uh, even though the same text uh, is on the screen. It's just more, it's easier for me to do the, uh, to do the page, the book. Is that something that, that you can resonate with that? Oh, very much. I'm not an e-reader. You know, we all have our cell phones. You can download anything you want practically onto that. And I do read some news on there, or journals, but for a book itself, I will always do it in holding a book in my hand. Mm -hmm. You know, and I don't know if this is getting ahead, but I, I watched with worry many years ago, and now I watch with fascination. You know, the idea of digitizing this information or an ebook. Children have been growing up now for roughly 10 years with ebooks in schools and more and more textbooks are now electronic or digital, um, especially at college level. But, but kindergartens are introduced to digital information from the get-go. And yet the amount of children's books, not e-books, have remained strong and can continue to grow. So that says to me, we, have a, we now are solidly into the next generations of young people who grew up with uh, e-books or digital textbooks in their schools every day, and yet a significant amount of them still want to hold a book when it comes time for enjoyment. Not everyone, but, but it's, I, love that, I love that fact. That's, it's, it's clear to me the printed book will survive, you know, barring some catastrophe, but the, the, I'm sorry, the printed book will survive because we have proof in front of us in the industry. Um, so that has been very encouraging. Because for many years, there were a lot of pundits who said printed books are gone. It's wasteful. It's a wasteful of our resources. Mm -hmm. um, and they should disappear. They will not disappear. Good so. for them, because uh, I find that to be absolutely true. I have two grandchildren, granddaughters, um, young, six and four, and they love the books that they, and they'll bring them to me. Grandpa, Grandpa, read this one. And read it over, read it again. In fact, yeah. one of my grandchildren, especially, loves a particular book uh, for oh, probably the last year or two. I got it for her from an independent bookstore, uh, recommended by the clerk, salesperson, and it was a picture book of the famous poem by Robert Frost stopping by the woods on a winter evening. And it was, it has been magic with my two granddaughters. And every time we get together, Grandpa, would you read the, the, the woods book or the snow book? So, uh, and they are fully engaged with computers as well. Their stock of books in the corner is, is substantial, and I think their parents have difficulty keeping them in, in some sort of order. But, but anyway, <laughs> I, I, I want to come back to something else. Okay. We haven't yet described your bookstore. We've talked about new books. We've talked about uh, the, the industry. But your bookstore itself is uh, sui generis. It's, it's by itself. Um, tell us about your bookstore. Well, I mentioned that it's 30 years old now. It'll be 30 years old in a few weeks in June. And I've been fortunate. I've been able to grow from a very small size and survived and grown over that time. So now I occupy five storefronts in a historic downtown. I forget how many thousands of square feet. It's eight or 9,000 square feet of sales space. But most of it, is occupied by used books. We've now passed the 210,000 volume mark. 
and we continue to grow, although there's not much room left. And then I have uh, roughly 2,000 square feet devoted to new books. And then I have roughly 2,000 square feet uh, devoted to toys. And by that, I mean puzzles uh, of all types, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. some plush, games, toys, um, no electronics. So it's only uh, traditional or educational toys. Mm-hmm. And so I've been fortunate to, to find the, the mix that works. Our town of Three Rivers is too small to support us. So I've always had to try to make it a destination store. And I've been successful to some degree in doing that. The majority of our customers, hands down, live an hour or two away. I mean, I'm supported well in both towns that I'm in, but a significant amount of our business comes from out of the area. So so people will, will drive to us because of our, it's kind of a unique assortment. Well, we're going to come back to that in just a minute, but we are, we are going to take a break right right now. This okay. is John Smetanka on With Respect, and we're talking to Tom Lowry, who is the owner of Lowry Books in the uh, cities of Three Rivers and Sturgis, both in Michigan. We'll be right back. back on With Respect with Tom Lowry, the owner of Lowry Books, Three Rivers in Sturgis, Michigan is where they're located. And uh, he has been telling us about, to begin to tell about what his store looks like and how he survives in, in towns which are um, the people to buy out his inventory, the people in that town would have to buy about 200 books a year uh, because it's a small year of smaller communities. But people do come. So, Tom, when we, when we broke, you started to talk about, in fact, you have now broken the 210,000 uh, book inventory mark. Where does that rank you in terms of the size of books, bookstores uh, around? Well, in Michigan, I'm now the second largest bookstore. The largest bookstore is still John King in Detroit. He has four floors and an old warehouse. Um, I don't have that much space, yeah. Yeah. So, but I'm now the second largest. Whether you measure total volumes or just used or rare, um, and that's not counting the new books. On any day, I have fifteen to 20,000 new books also in the Three River Store. I'm speaking mm-hmm. exclusively the Three River Store. The Sturgis Store, um, because of, I never had empty storefronts next to us, I'm only one storefront there. Mm-hmm. And so we have it's it's a mini three rivers is mm-hmm. how we look at it. You talked about uh, used books, rare books, new books. Let's talk about used books, and then talk about rare books. Okay. Where do you where do you get your used books? Um, every way I can. I mean, I buy something every single day. Uh, it could be our regular customers who bought 12 books two weeks ago or four weeks ago and they don't want to keep them, but they've read them and they just sell them back to us and then they buy another batch. So we have a lot of regulars who do that. Um, I buy from yard sales. I buy estates. I buy it from other stores. One thing I realized at the very beginning was that could be a full-time job just to seek out and search and then buy. And I don't want to do that full-time. So I'd much rather be in the store and working with people directly. Mm-hmm. So I've had to, I rely on, I buy from other people who go out and find. So in the new book industry is like the, I'm sorry, in the used book industry 
is like the antique industry historically is that there are people who are called pickers or they find stuff and they make a living doing that by reselling to the stores and and I buy from some of those people also. We, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm at the tail end of the boomers. I'm one of the younger boomers. And mm. unfortunately, a lot of boomers are starting to die off. And so there's a lot of estates coming onto the market for all types of product, whether it's the house itself or everything that's in it. And so especially this year, I've been buying a lot of estates. And I am literally buried in books right now, Chuck. <laughs> You well, might have noticed how many piles are around. I did. In fact, I'm going to <laughs> I'm going to interject that uh, I have been to your store quite a few times over the years. <clears throat> However, uh, this past time, I was with my uh, uh, my my fiance, and we walked through the wide range. I'm not sure if we got through every single nook and cranny. There was just too much space and too many books all of which I wanted to read that day. All right, that, let's, get, let's get right down to it. Fascinating titles. Um, arcane, by that is, that they're just, well, you, let's talk about the, the biography of uh, a Civil War colonel. I mean, I, I love talking about and reading about the Civil War uh, in the United States in the 1860s. And uh, for me to read about uh, a colonel may not be as very interesting to other people, but to me it get, brings me into the world of that officer, uh, whether it's Confederate or Union, and, and what, would, what was going through their minds, what they went, they, they, um, uh, they had to put up with, uh, whether they were wounded or, or whatever. But as I go through your store, it is huge in terms of the number of books that are available for perusal and, and buying. The uh, shelves, floor to ceiling, it seems. And then you've got, you've got boxes. Uh, I'm going to bet are new books coming in, uh, new parts of your, your estate sales. It's just, it's amazing. It is absolutely amazing. So, now... Go you, ahead. You get us estate sales, and just make sure everybody understands, uh, because we have some people in, in uh, audience in Europe and elsewhere that um, may not understand that what an estate sale is. Why don't you tell us that? It's basically whether somebody has died or they're simply moving and have chosen not to take everything with them. You can conduct a sale yourself, but often they hire somebody who... Uh, gets everything and cleans it up and displays it uh, in a good way, which often means spreading it out on tables in the garage or the lawn. Mm -hmm. um, and then it's a for sale. And that company promises to uh, empty the house for you for a fee. And for many people who, many survivors of a death or the people who are moving, that often appeals to them. But bottom line is you everything's for sale and so I buy I buy a lot of that product um, whether it's up front or at the at the tail end sure now also you said it's like antique business I, I know I've had experience with people around the country uh, but especially in Michigan who are antiquers and will literally come around uh, store after probably day after day or week after week for out of town people and just browse and see what what's you know what's new as it were it's not actually just new it's uh, what kind of antiques are there i presume you're talking about the same thing with books absolutely and the other thing that we haven't mentioned yet is the internet you know mm. there before the internet and the pcs came around which we're old enough to say we experienced before that world existed, there was essentially a, I can't say it, a tiered but system, but pickers would often sell to the stores. The store, the, the people who come in the stores sometimes would resell to another dealer. Um, and ultimately, some of that stuff ended up at, say, Sotheby's or 
in premier collections. You know, the best stuff. But bottom line is things are always being sold and resold and and we all play a part of that that big machinery. Nowadays, there are actually less places to buy things, whether it's antiques or strip books, and because so much of it is sold online. Mm. But but the pickers and each of us play a role in that new world. Ultimately, some of which just goes online, whether it's eBay or an auction online, or selling, you know, through one of the websites. And so it's just different players now, but same mechanisms. You, uh, you talk about the, uh, the internet, and uh, do you have an internet service? Do, do people uh, buy books through you on the net? They do. So for new books, we have a website, lowerysbooks.com. But for used books, we, we use one of the larger sites. We use Abe Books, abebooks.com. And on any given day, we have roughly 40,000 out of our 210 listed online. And that essentially, I mean, it literally opens up the world to us for a potential buyer. And for the unusual stuff or the scarce stuff or the rare, often that would be the only place you would ever sell it, you know, unless you had done an auction historically beforehand. But well, you didn't by, by listing online, it just increases your chances of selling something special sure. dramatically. Well, you, you just raised another new uh, mechanism. Uh, whereas you go to estate sales and, uh, and garage sales or whatever, <clears throat> uh, also auctions. That's a, that's a whole different ballgame, isn't it? Absolutely. Do you, are, do you engage in that? Not much. Not much. I mean, I know that some of my best stuff has been bought by rare dealers to go to an auction or to go directly into somebody else's collection. But I don't do much in the world of auctions. I mean, you could be full time in that. And I don't have enough time. <laughs> so one thing that you do, however, is you have a huge number. Of <clears throat> uh, I just lost there a huge number of oh paperbacks or older hardbacks uh, in categories like romance, mystery, uh, history, various parts of history, um, and so on. Does that yeah. that that is different, however, than what you talk about with with uh, both your new books and your rare books, part of your business? Okay. What is um, when I wandered through the store? When I have wandered through many times uh, your your bookstore, I see. Uh, oh God, I just can't even think of how many thousands of of titles, of people, authors who put their soul into uh, writing something. And now it is on a shelf, a used book, and <clears throat> it's, <clears throat> pardon me, <clears throat> it is a, um, what is that? Oh, dear, I'm, trying, I'm, I'm grappling for the words. <clears throat> it is a fascinating way to sit there or stand there and think what what do these people think that now that their books are you know in a in a, in a small shop uh yours is not um but um what part of history what a part of literature history do they really make uh, what kind of a, a difference do they really make and i i know that's a kind of an esoteric way to phrase this but all those books i could spend hours just going through your mystery section and finding authors I knew, finding stories I knew, or finding things that, because of their name or their, co their, their cover or something like that, are attractive that I'd never heard of before. Um, it seems to me that that's part of this great interest uh, that you can generate or you have generated in uh, in selling books that there's just it's tremendous uh, w well organized well organized um, a plethora of books there 
that people can wander and read. Now, now I'm leading this up. This is all bleeding up to one thing. Okay. I was, when I was a kid, I wanted to uh, not go shopping with my mother and her sisters on a Saturday. And I was kind of petulant about it. But they learned uh, the, the best way to handle me. And that is they put me into a bookstore and I think probably paid the, the uh, person in charge of that section to just watch me so that you know, I didn't wander off or someone didn't grab me. And I just spent the whole afternoon reading and, and just sitting on the floor reading. No one stopped me. I loved it. Now, I go to through stores today and unfortunately, I don't see the ability to sit down and browse or read a book uh, to see, you know, 10 pages to see if that's something you really are caught by. There's no chairs. Do you have any of that? Uh, any? That? I know you're crowded, and a chair no, is going to take up space. They do, but we have chairs and benches in every room because, because the inclination is to sit and surely study a book sometimes before you purchase it. And, and especially with young kids, we want to, we very much want to encourage reading in young people. So we have we allow that they can sit wherever they want and read and check it out. I'm really I'm really pleased about that because that experience, which I always I thought was a was a guilty pleasure. Um, I wish what I had seen in more bookstores. Uh, than the than when you know like for example in your place where you have places and benches where people can can sit down and read, and I think you're right. It does breed uh, a, an appreciation uh, because it's it's a world. You're in a different world. When I or my daughter, when she was young, would go to into a bookstore up in the Grand Rapids area, um, she would sit down in the kids' books on the floor or in a chair, and I could wander around looking at the other books I was looking for, history or whatever, and she was in, uh, that was her world, and it was great. Anyway, we're going to take a break right now. This is John Smetanker, and we're talking to Tom Lowry, who's the owner of Lowry Books in Three Rivers, Michigan, and in Sturgis, Michigan, and we'll be right back. Tom Lowry, the owner of Lowry Books in Three Rivers, Michigan, and Sturgis, Michigan. A bookstore, a book conglomerate, which is, uh, in terms of uh, the number of titles, somewhere north of 210,000, which is a pretty large uh, volume of books. This is John Smetanka. All right, so Tom... The, uh, the, the book industry today is different than it was, I think, you're going to correct me if I'm wrong, before COVID. Did COVID have an effect on you guys? It, it absolutely did. The, uh, let's just start with publishers. Because so many states had shut down retail operations, whether it's for a short time or an extended time, I mean, Michigan did, um, because their, their retail side stopped or was greatly curtailed to online sales only, the, the manufacturing side, the publishing side was forced to stop. And it caught all of us, caught the whole world unprepared for that. And naturally some 
some publishers um, got into trouble financially quickly. So the bottom line is there has been a consolidation again within the book industry. And so there are less publishers as a result of that. So Penguin Random House, which is the largest publisher in the English language, has simply grown again. Whether they have they continue to acquire more and more small publishers or they handle their distribution. So Penguin Random House now represents over 60% of all dollars in the United States, for instance, of new books coming out. And there is a concern about that. I mean, we won't spend a lot of time on it. Random House, I'm sorry, Simon & Schuster, they're top, there are six very large publishers. And below that, then the size drops dramatically. So one of the other six, Simon & Schuster, was also owned by another conglomerate and they put it up for sale because that conglomerate decided it didn't meet their core values. A very profitable company, but they didn't want it anymore. And the only one who could buy it was Penguin Random House. Mm. The DOJ, the Department of Justice, just ruled recently that they were not going to allow that merger to happen because it would make Penguin Random House approach 70% of all dollars spent on the new book side. Mm-hmm. And that, that was just too much consolidation. I don't know what will happen with Simon, but personally, I was happy for that. There, I mean, Penguin Random House is a good business. I have no complaints against it as a business. But for two things, as an industry approaches monopolies, then practices historically have not been good. You start price gouging. When you have no competition, you can do anything. You can price gouge your customer. You can beat up your public, your, your sources for the manufactured product. Bottom line is history suggests that monopolies are not good for consumers nor your competition. Mm-hmm. Um, but with books, there's extra, extra, because books often are the, whether it's an ebook or a printed book, books represent ideas. They represent the best of human production and the worst. And when it, more and more production or control slides to fewer hands, then we have to worry about democracies, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, information is controlled in a worst case, the only government that survives is a dictatorship or theocracy or you know monarchies, whatever. But in America, we are very concerned, and a lot of the world are very concerned about the control of ideas. And books are a significant part of that process, whether it's learning or implementing it, what's in them. And so we, we have to be worried if production or the control of the distribution rests in fewer and fewer hands. I know, you look at, go, go ahead. ahead go no, ahead. no, you I go ahead. Go no, well, go ahead, John. All right. <clears throat> that, I've watched this uh, from the, the perspective of a person running, running a, a radio show uh, for now 17 years. And I have seen the effect that COVID had on simple things. Like I used to get, uh, before COVID, I would get uh, Boku requests from publicists for um, major publishing houses. And would you take a look at this author? You take a look at that author. And sometimes they were really good and sometimes, eh. But after, during COVID and I'm not sure how it's going now. It's a little bit better, but it just basically shut down. I never heard from people. Uh, I would have to go out and search, and I'd find out that they were working at home, maybe. Uh, wouldn't get back to you. Not because uh, the, sh- the show was uh, inconsequential, but rather uh, they were just shocked into uh, into silence by how the... Uh, COVID had affected our isolation. So during that time, were you open? During COVID, were you open as a physical facility or how did you depend on getting sales? Uh, I I can publicly state like all bookstores, 2019, the sales went down dramatically at my store and everybody else I know. 
in 2020, they are still depressed. So two things you, for a while in Michigan, we were physically shut. We were on, we were not an emergency or a necessary business. So we shut doors. And so we relied on online sales and I can honestly say my online sales more than tripled, but <laughs> they were historically only 1% of my business. So Mm-hmm. Whether it goes from 1% to 3%, <laughs> you, you can't survive on that. Mm-hmm. You literally can't survive. And I think what kept me and many other businesses in Michigan open and the country were the programs that Congress offered. You know, PPP, for instance, Payroll Protection Plan. That absolutely helped keep me alive in 2019 and part of 2020 as it did many other small to mid-sized businesses. And that was a good program. So otherwise, I don't know if I, don't know if I would have survived, John. I mean, I have to be honest. I look at how, you know, sales went down over 25% overnight. Mm. Overnight, sales dropped between 25 and 30%. Wow. And that's how the year ended up. And that's how part of 2020 ended up. And that's a huge drop. You know, I used to work for a chain earlier on in my career. What I learned from that time was a national company, a national retail company, if a, if the sales at a location drops more than 10%, pushing 15%, then something dramatic was done. Fire the staff, fire the manager, whatever. If a sales at a location drops 20%, you close it. Mm. And that's how national chains have to look and operate. They can't carry a store that's dragging it down. And I went way past 20%. And so did most bookstores and most mom and pop stores in America. And if it wasn't for PPP and other programs like that, we would not have survived probably. And that's one reason why they did it. And they were thinking large picture. If too many businesses closed, there would be tens of millions of employees who had no income. And so it was better to try to keep as many businesses open as possible anyways i digress but but it was rough it was rough for a year and so we every every bookstores struggled and some stores had a tenfold increase in their e-business you know through their websites Mm -hmm. and they struggled just to ramp up to that that new level i only went up threefold but there was still a struggle to make that demand and get the books quickly to somebody Mm -hmm. You know, because FedEx and UPS, they didn't shut down, but they were overwhelmed too. And so was the mailman. But yeah, it was a rough year. Well, you, there's one other source of, of people getting through hard times, which I know of a bookstore, uh, an indie bookstore, that the owner went public and sent out, I need money. Can you help me? These were uh, yeah. to, the, to the general public. And the public responded. And that they, carried them through. I'm glad to hear that. Because there were GoFundMes, you know, for bookstores and for all kinds of businesses mm-hmm. at that time. And they didn't always get the response they needed. So there were a lot of stores that closed. I mean, restaurants, 25% of the restaurants, or just the number of 25% pre-2019 have never reopened. Mm-hmm. That's a significant permanent loss of that uh, restaurant jobs. So, oh, it is, it is. And one business in the town of Three Rivers, uh, like you, cannot co- carry the entire town on its shoulders. There are other people and other enterprises that need to be vibrant and effective uh, for even for you to survive. I would imagine. Because absolutely, yeah. How does that fit in in Three Rivers, for example? Well, I'm just a small cog in even the size of the city of Three Rivers, but yeah, I'm dependent on other businesses to stay strong so they can offer payroll, and then those people spend a little bit everywhere. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of it on rent or food, and then a small amount on what we call discretionary income, because books for many people are discretionary not income, discretionary expenses. Mm-hmm. And so that's what's used last. You take care of your rent, you take care of your food and utilities, eh, taxes too. And then you're thinking about your children all the time. And if there's anything left over, books fall into that discretionary category. 
I used so. I used to travel all around Michigan in, in campaigning, and I found something. Uh, it was before before COVID. I would come into a particular town, do some kind of an event, but if I had a chance, I would uh, stop into a store that sold something that was interesting to me, books often, and I spend time there, and I'd say to, to the, the clerk, I'd say, say, is there a good place to have a bite to eat? And sometimes uh, they would say, mm, nope. Other times, oh, yeah, Charlie's down the street is good. Or, or Sally's is, is uh, good for bakery goods, or just make it whatever it happens to be. But that in synergistic relationship between businesses, not just in small towns, but around the, around the country, and bigger than metropolitan areas, has got to, uh, to have an effective economy and it keep people not just have their essentials taken care of, but their added extras. And I, I must... I will put that into uh, uh, what is generally true: is books are added extras uh, for many people, not me, but because I'm passionate <laughs> about it. But right. but the but this added extra has to the, to make that effective. There's got to be a, a vibrant interaction between uh, the various kinds of businesses in an area. Seems to me, and I would agree 100. percent I mean, that brings up the whole idea of word of mouth. Word of mouth is crucial to a company's success, but it's also crucial for a business to recommend another business. Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. So we here in our, we're like every other locality. We, I, I make recommendations for restaurants all the time in the area or mm -hmm. you know, a site to see if somebody has an extra hour and has a, they're traveling through, where should they go look at? You know? Yeah. Yeah. So we do that all the time. All right, we're going to take another break now. This is John Smetanka on With Respect, and we're talking to Tom Lowry, the owner of Lowry Books, which is located uh, in two locations in uh, southern Michigan. One is Three Rivers, and the other is Sturgis. We'll be right back. We are now back on With Respect with Tom Lowry, the owner of Lowry Books on uh, Main Street and Three Rivers and also in Sturgis, Michigan, two communities uh, near each other in southern Michigan. This is John Smetanka. So, Tom, uh, a couple of things we have not talked about. Um, who are the kind of people that come to see you to who are maybe your regulars or maybe not even their regular, your regulars, but just folks come in to take a look at what you got and just to browse and to buy and to, and, or browse and walk out. You've got to have so, a wide so, range of people. Then we do. And we have to, uh, you know, as I bring a new employee on, try to share some of that experience with all the new employees, but we have, you mentioned the size of some categories. We have a large romance section right near the front. We have a large fiction category. We have a large science fiction category and a decent mystery and Western category. So for those five types of fiction, we have a very good selection and each of them draws that type of reader. And we often have, they often go away with something. On the other hand, it's amazing. As many books as I have, John, I still run out of stuff. Um, it always blows me away when I, I don't have every Dickens on the shelf. Right? Mm -hmm. You know, I don't have all 350 Nora Roberts books on any given day. Mm -hmm. But so that having been said, we still have a good selection and we try and we have buyers that justified the size of space I give to them. Another significant category I have besides the devoted you know, genre reader is uh, professors and students. Because of the size of what I have, and because of my maybe background or interests, we have a lot of books that college students and profs would want to have. And so we see a lot of that, that group. And that 
to me that's rewarding. I enjoy that that purchaser. Then we have the just the general book lover who's widely read or reads reads many subjects. And we have uh, a good selection for all those types of readers. For the serious book collector, I don't have a million dollar book. You know, I don't have anything worth more than 10,000. But we still have collectors who come through uh, whatever they're collecting. You mentioned Civil War. We have a large Civil War selection, for instance. Yes, you we do. Have a large, large military history section in general. Um, I like history. We have a lot of history books of all types. We have foreign language. We have technical. So we, we just draw all kinds of peoples. And the other thing we need to mention is children. I love children's books. That's I actually read a lot of children's books because it's amazing how many good authors are out there producing kids' books year after year. And I love kids' books. Um, I balance that with reading other more serious stuff, but I love children's books and I read a lot of them because I want to help that child find that book or find a book that that they'll respond to. But also when their aunt or grandma comes in and is totally at a loss, you know, looking at a wall full of books, which one did they choose for their child um, for a gift? And I, I love to help that buyer. So we have a little bit of everybody who comes in, which makes it makes it a varied day and also makes it rewarding. One of the things that uh, I was uh, struck by is that uh, you had a, a, a salesperson who was um, uh, buying, uh, handling some of the buying or the, the, where I was buying the books. And a nice young woman seemed to be uh, very friendly how many of your employees do you have to introduce books to? That is zero. zero. <laughs> All right. Now tell me about that because that's fascinating. So a lot of my employees I've known prior to their coming on as customers. So I've already had a sense of either their interests or their personality or, you know, what I thought, thought were strong characteristics. But everybody who works here is a reader of some genre. So I don't have to introduce them to books, but I, I just look at myself. When I started in the industry, I didn't read romance, for instance. I still don't. Um, and it's a significant amount of dollars are spent on romance. Mm-hmm. You, just have to, you just have to learn who the most popular authors are and where they're going to be found. And then you just have to pay attention to to new authors and learn those as they come on. And that's what I share with new employees. Uh, listen, you're going to look for help from one of us, one of the people on the staff a lot at the beginning. Somebody say, do you have John Roberts? Do you have John Sanford? Do you have Nora Roberts? You know, and you don't know everyone. That's fine. But you have, you have to memorize them and pick up those names. And then at some point, the newer, the newer staff will be relying on you. So, well, you know, it's, it's interesting. Uh, when I was uh, living in the Grand Rapids area, there were two uh, bookstores of significance out on 28th Street. One was yep. Schuler's, Schuler Books, yep. and the other one, uh, I think it was a Barnes & Noble that opened up down the street. Now, I have no problem with buying things at Barnes & Noble. I'm a, I'm a member, and so that's great. However, when that store first opened up, I had a particular... Thing that I was looking for. I was reading uh, mysteries at the time. That was my, my shtick for, the, for the, a period of time. When I was at <clears throat> Schuler's, I'd walk over and, I'd, and there'd be a person there who was in charge of that mystery section. And they maybe had a thousand books there, I'm guessing. And I would ask, well, what's, what's out there? And then she or he would know what I was, because I've been there before. Well, John, you might like this. And or I would say, what do you think about this particular author? Or where can I find this particular kind of story? And people that I, that I dealt with had this really interesting thing in common. They read books. They actually liked books. <laughs> they may not have had any use for mysteries, but they, if they were in the mystery section, 
they made it a business of understanding the inventory that they had a you know that when people came in and said I'm looking for down the street yeah. when they first started went down to see what mystery stories there were and this poor person that came to, uh, came to my uh, assistance I said I'm looking for and I mentioned an author um uh, I don't know uh, they're around here someplace um have you uh, do you do you read much no no this is a summer job or and it was it was it was man it was I thought that the world was coming to an end because the best experiences I've had were that book sellers and book buyers formed a community a social and interest community that um it was special, and I carried, I carry today, the the memories of individual booksellers that I've dealt with, clerks, uh, salespeople, and who helped me along the way to expand my my interest in reading, and also uh, particular uh, kinds of authors I'm looking for. So I I, I want to say that if you have people, young people. Or old people who are reading uh, themselves, you've got a great advantage in in sales, I would think. And we do. And you bring up a point we haven't talked about yet, which is the idea of an independent store versus a chain store. And there really, there really is only one national bookstore chain left, and that's Barnes and Noble. There used to be Borders, there used to be others, but but Barnes and Noble is the last one left. And not to not to portray their employees as one way or another, but I would honestly say that independent stores are more apt to have those passionate employees. Mm-hmm. It's not just a summer job. It's not just something to fill the time or it's the only place I could get a job at. It's but it's the passionate reader, and you are more apt. Whether you run into the mystery person, but you're looking for sci-fi, that employee will turn you on to the right employee to answer your your recommendation question. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. but the bottom line is, in the, there is a difference between an independent store and a, a national chain, and it's not just knowledge. I think it really is about passion. But we treat books differently, whereas a chain, it, it really has to be treated as a commodity. They need to make so many dollars a week. They have a quota, otherwise they're not going to be able to pay the bills or give a stock dividend to their shareholders. In, a, in an independent bookstore, we don't think about it that way mm-hmm. as a commodity. It's a friend, or it could be your friend in the future. And we're passionate about these things. And we not only choose our selections differently, but we also have staff that reflect that. And I'm glad we finally got to that point, that's great because uh, my mother, uh, the fount of all wisdom, and never, uh, never ignore your mother. Uh, <laughs> Very true. Said had a <laughs> phrase which she used over and over again when she was trying to um, get us, get me and my brother outside the house, but uh, did, you know do sports and all that was fine. But when we we're in the house, you know, kids can get bored. And she would make sure that we had books available to read. And she said the following. Remember, boys, books are your best friends. You can always, when no one else is around, your friends are all someplace else, you have a friend that you can sit down and talk to them and listen. And I think that that expresses to me one one of the values that books have for young people. And yep. and older people who are not able to get around much, they they have their their physical uh, limitations, but their minds are active. And uh, there's a, there's a, young, a lawyer who uh, in our local area who made it a point to read all of the classics in his uh, in his uh, time, and he was uh, remarkable, absolutely remarkable in in the depth of his of his reading and his and his love of books. At any rate, 
I am sorry because we are running out of time. And Tom, I've enjoyed talking to you about your bookstore. People want to find it. It's uh, uh, on the Main Street and Three Rivers, a great place to go, uh, or in Sturgis, or online. What was that online again? It's www.lowrysbooks.com. And that's L-O-W-R-Y. Yeah, no E, no E. No E, okay. Tom, (laughs) thank you very much for your time. You're welcome. This is, it's been a pleasure, John. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad. It's been a pleasure for me also. The name of our program is With Respect. We're on every week. And remember our motto until next time. Our motto is, if you show respect to other people, they will show respect to you. <laughs>